you have to abide in Christ in order to begin to obey Him. I'm a Cowboys fan, I'll admit. Love me some Dallas Mavericks, still holding on to that 2011 NBA Finals win. John 15 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Alright, welcome to the very first episode of Jesus Love Sports Podcast. I'm Luke Heaton, and it's a pleasure to be with you guys today. Here you'll hear a unique blend of all things Christianity, all things sports, anything God puts on my heart, anything that happens in the sporting world, you will most likely hear via this podcast. All right, first let me pray. Lord, thank you for this podcast, and please allow me to be a light for your kingdom. Please bless whoever is listening as you use me for your good. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, I'm excited about this podcast. I guess I'll do a little general information, a little intro. I'll introduce myself. Uh, I'm Luke Heaton. I, uh, I guess I became a Christian. I was baptized when I was eight. Uh, I've been walking with God ever since. When I was summer after second grade, my uh, dad passed away from cancer, and God really allowed me or used that in my life to strengthen my relationship with Him and kind of realize how I can minister to people. And then I've got a great family, a lot of people pointing me towards Christ, which I'm very thankful for. So that's a little bit about me. Also, I played basketball. I love to play golf. I love to follow any and every sport. I love to watch any and every sport, read about any and every sport. So yeah, it's a little bit about me. In today's episode, I plan to give a little sermon on abiding in Christ. And then for sports, I'm going to hit on the NFC and AFC Championship games, a little Cowboys-Mavs talk, some talk about the NBA, and then a little bit about golf at the end. There's some cool things happening in golf lately that I want to talk about. But yeah, we'll start with... uh, We'll start with the sermon. So, I guess leading up to the sermon, I'll give a little background. So, this a weekend ago, I went home before coming back to school and was a counselor at a church retreat in my church. So, two friends of mine from high school and I had sixth and seventh grade boys. The church retreat is uh, sixth grade through twelfth grade. And people from our church open up their homes and have a grade and counselors that stay in their homes. And then throughout the weekend, there's sessions with a speaker that the church brings in. There's activities. We do a service project, have free time, competitions, games, all that good stuff. It's really awesome. I grew up going to it, and I really enjoyed it. Um, So one of the sermons that the speaker at the retreat gave really resonated with me and God just put on my heart to share it today. The guy's name is Adam. He's a pastor from Alabama. So he talked about abiding in Christ. And he talked about some things that I've really never paid attention to and heard of, but are really important and too often we forget about it. So he talked about four common stages, I guess you would say, in a Christian's life. Um... The first stage is the land of disobedience, and there's the abiding stage, 
the obeying stage and the enjoyment stage. So I guess to give a little background on each of them, the land of disobedience may be someone that knows what's right and what's wrong and what God wants them to do, I guess, regarding right and wrong, but they're purposely giving into the flesh. Uh, it could be really minuscule things, could be large-scale things, but regardless, they're choosing flesh over God. Um, there's the abiding stage, which is spending time with God and working on that relationship. Uh, the obeying stage comes after the abiding stage. It's once you've been abiding with Christ, it's uh, being, having the courage and strength to go after where God's calling you and obeying God. And then the enjoyment stage is the joy and peace you get from obeying God, which is the stage all Christians should pursue to achieve and get to. So we'll talk about the land of disobedience a little bit. This uh, Adam was talking about how Yes, Christians are saved by faith, but it's so easy to take advantage of that because the flesh is the flesh is powerful. God is more more powerful than it, but at the same time Satan has power. And too often we give into that power and per, and give into the flesh even though we know we are fully capable of knowing what's right and wrong in God's eyes. And we're losing out on so much joy and peace that God has to offer. Which, God, the joy and peace you get from abiding with Christ and obeying, with, and obeying God is unlike anything you can get on this earth. There's nothing that the flesh has to offer that can compare to the joy you get from walking with God. Uh, so that's the disobedient stage. The abiding stage is actually taking time to... To work on your relationship with God, uh, Adam said a really awesome line, a uh, few lines that I thought I'd like to share. He said that for many Christians, we're kind of in an on and off dating relationship, like we're going on a few dates with God. We'll maybe pick up our Bible on Sunday morning, maybe occasionally every other week go to youth group, bring our, maybe crack open our Bible then, but we're not actually pursuing a relationship with God. We're just going on a few dates every now and then. But abiding with Christ is spending time constantly with God. Maybe that, maybe for you, it's actually being prayerful throughout the day. Prayer is so easy to forget. Maybe it's opening up your Bible. Maybe it's starting and opening up a devotional book. But abiding with Christ is remaining in Him, hanging on to Christ, and working on your relationship, not just going on a few dates with Him. And the next stage is obeying God. And after you abide with Christ, obeying is going after where God's calling you to. Maybe that for some, like for example, some people are called to go into ministry. But going into ministry is scary. And once, but once you've abided, you've been abiding with Christ, it makes you have more courage and strength to actually obey God. So going into ministry, you have the Holy Spirit working in you and giving you strength to do that because you've been abiding with Christ. Maybe it's talking to an unbeliever, sharing the gospel with a friend that you've been too timid to share with throughout your whole life, but you've been abiding with Christ, and that strength you've gotten from the Holy Spirit is finally able to push you towards obeying Christ. Those are just a few examples. And then the last stage is the enjoyment, the enjoy stage. And the enjoy stage is the joy and peace that fulfills you from obeying God. 
the earth, the world, the flesh is not fulfilling. It's not satisfying. It's very momentary satisfaction. But for eternal satisfaction, fulfillment, the only place you can go, the only person you can go to is God. So the enjoy stage is what us Christians should desire. And if you don't desire that, I challenge you to pray to God asking for that desire. God wants us to, the God, Bible says to go to God with anything. If you're angry, go to God. Tell Him, tell him you're angry. If you are sad, tell Him you're sad. If you're happy, tell Him you're happy. Christians, yes, we pray about when we're sad or angry. But me, me included, myself included, spending time in prayer, thanking God, telling Him that we're happy, we're thankful for things, we take we we forget to do that too often. So something I've been working on is uh, actually, I guess before bed sometime, just spending a few minutes in prayer, thanking God for things He's given me, thanking for my family, for uh, giving me opportunities to freely worship, for my friends, for golf, for sports, for church. Just, you can thank Him for anything. God just wants to, you to talk to Him. That's part of the relationship, constantly in communication with Him. So, those are the four stages. And then another thing I want to hit on, Adam really hit it home with this, saying that a common issue we have as Christians with these four stages is we too often skip the abiding stage. So let's say we're in the land of disobedience. Even maybe we're in the land of obedience, and we're we're we do we do the right things, but we're still not pursuing that relationship. And we where we finally you know we sit down one day and we're like, all right, God, I'm done doing these things. I'm done holding on to this sin. I'm done with these habits. I'm going to make a change. So for two weeks, you're doing pretty well, man. You think after a few days, after a week, after two weeks, all right, I have this down. I'm over these habits. I'm done with this sin. And then the next day, you're right back into the sin. You're right back into the habit before you can even blink an eye. You don't even realize. And the problem with that is you skip the abiding stage. I've done this so many times. We try to do this on our own. We try to start obeying God on our own. But you can't obey God if you haven't been building a relationship with Him. John 15:5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding in Christ, remaining in Christ, gives you the strength to obey God. Us humans are so tempted by Satan to do things on our own and not go to God, who is free for us to go to. God's grace and mercy, we are, we have to be, we are so thankful for that. And we talk about that on Sundays in church, but then we just forget about it and we don't actually take advantage of the resources that God's given us. He's given us a Bible. God, through, through people, wrote this book. This is the best book you'll ever read, and myself included, do not spend enough time in it. So I just really uh, loved hearing Adam say, because I, I needed a reminder that in order to obey which leads to enjoying God and enjoying joy, the joy and peace He has to offer, we have to abide, and it takes time. It's not some overnight fix. You have to work on your relationship with God. So that's just a little sermon I wanted to share. I thought that was really powerful, and it really resonated with me. So I hope you can get something out of that. But uh, anyway, I'll move on to some sports. All right, where do I start? 
All right, so this past weekend was the NFC and AFC Championship games. You know, when I was watching these games, it really reminded me of last year's Final Four. Last year's Final Four was Villanova, Oklahoma, Syracuse, North Carolina. I guess the, the Syracuse-North Carolina game was somewhat close, but not really, and then Villanova just blew OU out of the water. Like, it wasn't even competitive for either game, which was... I mean, the Final Four, you expect those to be the most competitive games of the season, and it was just kind of a letdown. And that's what I thought the NFC and AFC Championship games were. You know, I kind of expected it. I didn't really think Green Bay stood a chance against Atlanta, considering they're, they're just, they've been plagued by injuries. So we'll get into, we'll get into the Green Bay-Atlanta game uh, right now. So Aaron Rodgers comes. The Green Bay played a great game against Dallas. I thought Dallas, I would have loved to see them in the, I mean, I admit, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. I wanted them so bad to go to the, the NFC Championship game, but Aaron Rodgers had an amazing game. Then Mason Crosby hits, statistically, the two most clutch kicks in NFL history, two plus 50 yarders at the end of the game, which wins in the game. And Green Bay's defense played pretty well against Dallas despite the injuries they had, and they were missing Jordy Nelson on the offensive end. So Green Bay played very, very well against Dallas, but going into against Atlanta, I didn't, I could not, I just wasn't thinking they had it in them. So they get, just injuries continue to hurt them. They get Morgan Burnett back against Atlanta. And then fairly early in the game, they lose Micah Hyde, who's been playing all over their secondary because, He's, been had, he's had to be versatile due to all the injuries, and then he goes out, so Green Bay just can't catch a break. And then, of course, Jordan, I mean, Jordan Nelson comes back after his brutal hit in the wildcard game against New York. Rodgers had a fair... Rodgers had a good game, but in order for Green Bay to continue to advance, he has to have unbelievable... He has to have perfect games. So, I mean, Green Bay's a good team, but when you compare them to the firepower Atlanta has, let's just go through this first. We'll start with Matt Ryan. Matt, Ry Matt Ryan has a very unique but unbelievable record for this season. Matt Ryan has thrown a touchdown pass to 13 different receivers. That is remarkable. That is unbelievable. I have never even heard of anyone coming close to that. So Matt Ryan has put, put together an MVP campaign. And then Julio Jones, he had a 300-yard receiving game this season. Oh, my goodness. A 300-yard receiving game. Plus, Atlanta has two very, very good running backs. And then their defense has been playing very well, too. So Atlanta, as much as I <clears throat> don't really have confidence in them, just judging by the past and they just kind of choke in the playoffs or later in the season. First half of the season, Atlanta is very good. And then second half or early in the playoffs, they just go off the deep end. Besides that, Atlanta was my favorite going into this game. Just because Green Bay has been played by injuries. Um, so <clears throat> we'll move on to the AFC title game. A lot of people picked Pittsburgh to win. Watching all the... Pre the pregame shows uh, with all the so-called experts, a lot of them were choosing Pittsburgh. 
but the New England, I don't know how you, I don't get, I don't know how you can uh, root against them, considering Tom Brady, after missing the first four games this season, almost has an eye out for Roger Goodell and has been put together an unbelievable season, and then their defense has been very, very good this year. I want to say they've been top five defense all year. And then, I mean, back to Tom Brady. Tom Brady makes average no-name receivers look great. I guarantee, I don't guarantee, but Chris Hogan does not have the season he has if he's on any other team. Tom Brady makes Chris Hogan look like a pro bowler. It's pretty awesome to watch. But, I mean, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's a good team, but... I mean, Tom Brady, with the way he's playing, you can't really count him out. So, I thought it'd be closer, though. The Patriots got out early, and it it wasn't that close throughout the game. Anyway, besides the two uncompetitive uh, AFC-NFC games, I think I'm looking forward to the Super Bowl. Two all-fame quarterbacks, two good defenses, two firepower offenses. Should be, if it's a shootout, I'll be happy. That'll be awesome to watch. All right, uh, that's enough with that. I want to talk a little Cowboys, just because, like I said earlier, I'm a Cowboys fan, and they've they've been at the headlines all season, the top of the headlines all season. So, as you can probably guess, Romo is what's everyone what everyone's been talking about. So I'll talk a little about what the Cowboys can to, can do with Romo. I was reading an article on ESPN by Todd Archer. And he was going through some scenarios. I'll read them to you. So, if Dallas decides to keep Romo, that will cost that will cost twenty four point seven million dollars in cap space. If Dallas releases Romo, they only save five point one million. So I don't see releasing Romo being a reasonable option. I'll go back to that later. Uh, a very possible, a very possible option. What to do with Romo? Todd Archer was saying if you designate Romo as a post June one cut, that splits the cost of Romo over two years. So in 2017, that would cost you 10.7 million. In 2018, that would cost you 8.9 million. Which, if you're getting rid of Romo, designating him as a post June one cut is a very good option because it saves you more money than just releasing him. There will be dead money, but at the same time, it saves you more. But the Cowboys have other issues on your hand on their hands besides Romo. Yes, they have a bright future. They had two MVP candidates, two rookie MVP candidates in Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott. The best off- offensive line in football. They have some solid defensive pieces, good coaching. So I mean they have a bright future. But at the same time, they better have a good offseason because things could crumble this offseason. The number of unsigned free agents that are gonna that the Cowboys need to worry about is <laughs> there's a lot of them. So just a few UFAs to name some: Brandon Carr, Morris Claiborne, Ron Leary, Barry Church, J.J. Wilcox. For sure, players that you need to resign, you need to resign Brandon Carr, need to resign Barry Church, need to resign Ron Leary. Brandon Carr, Barry Church, huge pieces of your defense, which is already lacking compared to the rest of the NFL. The Cowboys offense kind of saved the Cowboys defense 
from being pointed out more just because the Cowboys had the ball so much and their time of possession was just through the roof. So it got the defense off the field, which is great. But Brandon Carr, you need him. Barry Church, you need him. Ron Leary, you need him. And they stay pretty healthy. They stay on the field, which brings me to talk about Morris Claiborne. Not only is Morris Claiborne not lived up to the hype coming out of the draft, Claiborne is really good at LSU, and he hasn't really done much in the NFL. And also to mention that he he's, doesn't stay healthy. He can't even stay on the field. So saying goodbye to Claiborne in the offseason isn't your worst nightmare, unless you can get him for cheap. So, yes, the Cowboys, they have a very important offseason ahead of them. Oh, also one more thing to mention from the Todd Archer article. More ways you can save money. You can, Cowboys are going to have to restructure contracts. So a few players you can restructure contracts with. Uh, Travis Frederick, Tyron Smith. Just restructuring those contracts could save you $17 million. That's what Todd Archer said. And then Jason Witten restructured his contract. So the Cowboys, they've got a bright future, but this offseason is very important in determining that future. Also, one more thing. Part of me wants to say this is the Cowboys' best. This year was the best opportunity for them to win the Super Bowl. Reasons being, two MVP candidates and Zeke and Dak. Best off- offensive line of football that was healthy. Overall, the whole team was healthy. Not many teams can say that. New York was a, kind of injured. Green Bay, very injured, and you saw what that did to them. So, I mean, Cowboys, they had what they needed, and they just... I mean, they didn't get blo- at least they didn't, they didn't get blown out. I mean, it was a close game, and give it to Green Bay. But at the same time, you could make a very solid argument that this was the Cowboys' best year to win the Super Bowl. Considering a few years down the road, you're going to have to start paying players, and you're going to have to say goodbye to players. You're going to have to pay Dak when he gets out of his rookie contract. This is, the Cowboys situation is just like what recently happened to Seattle. Seattle had to pay Russell Wilson. They, had to pay, they chose to pay some key defensive players. They chose to pay Russell. And look what happened. Their offensive line is atrocious because they don't have money for them. So unfortunately, that's what's going to happen to Dallas in the years to come when they start having to pay players like Dak. So for Dallas, the time is now, and this offseason is very important. All right, that's enough football. We'll talk a little basketball. We'll start with Mavs, and then we'll go to some overall NBA talk. So what I want to start with the Mavs is they're only three and a half games out of the playoffs. Yes, I said that. They're only three and a half games out of the playoffs. As much as their season has looked horrible, they are, they are not out of a playoff spot, which I think is terrible. In the NBA, the worst thing you can do is be a middle-of-the-road team. Maybe squeak in the playoffs, be a ninth seed. Or be an eighth seed, make the playoffs, barely miss the playoffs, be a ninth or tenth seed. Do not get a high lottery pick. You don't rebuild your team. And the, if, you don't, if you're a middle-of-the-road team, your best option, which, would be a, which is what Cuban... Okay, Mark Cuban, the owner of the Mavs, he needs to understand that it's time to rebuild the team from the draft. It's, we, Dallas is not going to land a big free agent unless some sort of miracle happens. 
You need Mavs need to follow the philosophy of the Warriors. The Warriors drafted Steph Curry. They drafted Draymond Green. They drafted Klay Thompson. Yes, it took longer than signing an all-star free agent, but it works. Who of Go- who works in the Golden State front office or who's a Golden State fan that regrets them building from the draft? No one. Dallas, you need to start rebuilding from the draft. And yes, Dallas has been horrible draft-wise in the past two years. But I guess the reason for that is because you've been a middle-of-the-road team and you get a second half of the first round. Your first pick of the draft is second half of the first round. And talent is hard to come by in the NBA draft. So, Dallas, I will be more than fine if you do not make the playoffs and you get a high lottery pick. Which, going back, this year's draft is stacked. Dallas, of all things, needs a guard. Yes, okay, we'll talk about Dallas' roster for a second. Dallas, we have Harrison Barnes. Good player. Very good player. But our veterans are worrying me. Yes, we have some good role players. We have Dwight Powell. We have Solomon Mejri. They're good rebounders, good hustle players. We have Seth Curry. Seth Curry is a solid guard. But our veterans, Dirk. Yes, I love you, Dirk. You brought me the greatest joy of my life when you won us the NBA Finals in 2011. But unfortunately, your defensive ability is, is in the garbage now. Dirk, I love you, but you can't play defense. You can't play defense, and so you, your defense is so bad now that Bogut, you can't even play in the same, on the court at the same time as Andrew Bogut. And Bogut wants to leave Dallas now. So, I mean, yes, Dirk is coming to an end, which is really sad. And then the guards for Dallas, D. Will, Darren Williams, 32, Bure is 32, Devin Harris is 33. The past few seasons, they've been battling injuries in age. Bure has missed a large part of the season with a calf injury. And Harris is constantly in and out of injury. So, I mean, it's only a matter of time till they're gone. And D. Will only signed a one-year deal, so we're going to have to re-sign him. But, so, in the draft, this if Dallas, as much as I hate me, myself saying this, I really hope Dallas doesn't make the playoffs. Because if we get a good high lottery pick, my goodness, you can't lose. The guards in this draft, Darren Fox from Kentucky. He's had comparisons to John Wall with his speed. Lonzo Ball from UCLA. Long point guard. Can rebound. Can pass the ball. Can shoot. Can do everything. And then the point guard from NC State, Dennis Smith. Comparable to Russell Westbrook with his athleticism. Not to mention a plethora of other guards. There's a, the guard from OK State. Very good score. So, I mean, if Dallas doesn't screw up this year and they find themselves in a high lottery, with a high lottery pick, that's the start to rebuilding the team. Another point I want to make, the, make about the Mavs is I was listening to the ticket and Norm Hitzkiss was talking about how Dallas needs to kind of follow the footsteps of what the Mavs did in 97-98. Uh, in the next few years after that when they had Finley, Dirk, and Nash. So Norm was saying that if Dallas can make Barnes their third best player, then they will be good. That's the key. Barnes right now is averaging 20 points per game and 47% shooting. His career average is 11 points per game. So Barnes surprised me with his playmaking ability. 
He's a very good player, but he's not who you can build around. In 97-98, the Mavs had Michael Finley. He was their stud. But the Mavs were 20-62. and 62. Just how like Harrison Barnes is our stud. And the Mavs are, they have a very poor record. In 2000-2001 season, so after the 97-98 season, the Mavs got Dirk and they got Steve Nash. And by 2000-2001, they were 53-29. and 29, And by 0203 they were 60-22. and 22. They made Michael Finley their third best player. Just like Norm was saying, we need to make Harrison Barnes our third best player. And he has a very, that was a very good comparison, I thought. So, Mavs, to sum it up, find a way to get a high lottery, high lottery pick. Make Barnes their third best player. <sighs> Mark Cuban, I want to have faith in you. But please, the Mavs are not signing a big-time free agent. There's, right now, there's no bright future in Dallas. There's not going to be a big-time player that's going to want to have a career in Dallas right now. So... Also, one more thing about the Mavs I thought was really funny. The Mavs just beat the Lakers by 49 points. On the anniversary of Kobe's 81-point game, the Lakers only scored 73, which I thought was hilarious. Just goes to show how the Lakers are doing right now. All right, so we'll do a little bit of broad NBA talk. Uh, Cavs are still top of the East. Warriors are still top of the West. How great would it be if there was a, a three-peat NBA Finals? Oh my goodness, Cavs-Warriors again. Can you imagine another Game 7? Last year's Game 7 between Cavs and Warriors was the highest ever rated NBA game in ABC history with an 18.9 overnight rating. In 2013, the Spurs vs. Heat Game 7 was a 17.7. Can you imagine a three-peat Game 7 this year? My oh my. So, I mean, the NBA is in good hands. As much as people hate super teams, myself... I don't hate super teams. They, I mean, obviously, they get on my nerves because my Mavs are suffering while there's only a few other teams that are actually having success. They are good for NBA, popularity-wise, marketing-wise. So, the NBA is in good shape. One little controversy thing I want to talk about in the NBA is Russell Westbrook was not named a starter in the All-Star game. Now, in case you don't know Russell Westbrook's stats for this season, he's on track to becoming the second player ever to average a triple-double in the season. He's currently averaging 30.6 points per game, 10.6 rebounds per game, and 10.4 assists per game. Are you kidding me? That is unbelievable. And he's not starting the All-Star game. Harden... James Harden and Steph Curry are starting over him, which, I mean, they're both great players. Harden's averaging 28.7, 8.2, and 11.6. Steph's averaging 24.6 points per game. So, I mean, they're great players, and I think Steph is benefiting from the, pop, the overflow of popularity from last year when he won the unanimous MVP after winning the MVP before. Okay, Steph almost won most improved player the year after winning MVP. That is unheard of. So shout out to Steph for that. That's amazing, which he did improve so much considering he's unanimous MVP. But, I mean, Russell Westbrook not starting. He deserves to start. And his comment was, I'm not worried about things like this. I'm worried about uh, bigger things like winning championships. And one little, one little opinion on that. Russ, 
you got a good team. You're a great player. But you're not going to win a championship. Championship teams spread the wealth more. Your stats are amazing, but you demand the ball too much. So Oklahoma City, I don't see a championship in their future unless Russ starts spreading the wealth more. And people have always talked about him trusting his teammates. Russ didn't even trust his teammates when Durant was there. So that's just a little broad NBA talk. And then I want to hit on golf a little bit. A little awesome thing that's been happening lately. Justin Thomas, young player on the rise, is surprising everyone with how fast he's making a name for himself. He just shot a 59, which has been done by very, very few players in PGA Tour history. He just shot the best four-round score in PGA Tour history. Uh, Yeah, he just won back-to-back tournaments. He just finished winning the Sony Open. So, I mean, golf... I want to talk... Golf is doing great right now. The amount of amazing young players is... makes golf so fun to watch. Now, I know... You're in the minority if you enjoy watching golf because most most people view golf as a prerequisite for a great Sunday afternoon nap, which I used to not be a fan of watching golf. I used to love playing it. I still love playing it, and now I love watching it. I, I could watch golf all day. So if you don't like watching golf, maybe now's the time to try to get into it because there's so many good players. Jordan Spieth, Dustin Johnson, Zach Johnson, Jason Day, Mickelson's still great. Tiger's coming back. Tiger's so good. Ah, Tiger's so good for golf. He's Tiger can never be repaid for what he's done for golf. Not to mention, I think, 79 PGA Tour victories. Oh my goodness, that's unheard of. Phil Mickelson has only, I think, 42, something like that. And Spieth only has 8, I think. So if you think Spieth's had a great career, Tiger's had 79 Tour victories. Anyway... Golf's in great shape right now with all the young talent, and I'm really loving watching it. All right, well, that finishes the very first edition of Jesus Loves Sports podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. I'll see you all in a week. And how I'm going to start ending the podcast, I'm going to ask you the same question that I was asked growing up. How did you make a difference today? All right, guys, appreciate it. See you guys soon. You have to abide in Christ in order to begin to obey him. I'm a Cowboys fan, I'll admit. Love me some Dallas Mavericks, still holding on to that 2011 NBA Finals win. John 15 says, I am the vine, you are the branches.